Hello and welcome to Re-Energize. This is the place to discover more about emerging tech in offshore renewables and how we will meet our future energy needs. My name is Anil Sayhan. I'm the Program Director of Offshore Wind Growth Partnership. OWGP is the UK's flagship supply chain growth funding and business support organisation dedicated to offshore wind. It's my pleasure to host this special edition episode ahead of the UK Offshore Wind Supply Chain Spotlight event in Edinburgh on 12th of December. Spotlight is jointly organised by OWGP and ORE Catapult. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jane Cooper and Ajay Alhualia. Jane is the Executive Director of Offshore Wind and Ajay is the Head of Supply Chain at Offshore Wind Industry Council, OWIC and Renewable UK. It is a pleasure to have you both on this podcast episode, Jane and Ajay. Thank you so much for joining. To begin with, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a bit of an overview of your background and control at Renewable UK and OWIC? So thanks, Sunil. My name's Jane Cooper. I'm the Director of Offshore Wind at Renewable UK. And I've been here about a year now with the primary responsibility to deliver the offshore wind sector deal with the Offshore Wind Industry Council. We've recently gone through a whole governance programme and we are good to go. We're set up and ready to move forward to make sure we can reach that 50 gigawatts by 2030 that's been set by government. I was previously at Ersted for 10 years with a developer. Actually, I've come from the mobile phone industry and I started my working life as an engineer with Rolls-Royce. Hello, everybody. My name is Ajay Lawalia. I'm the head of supply chain at Renewable UK and uh, the delivery lead for this supply chain and clusters working group within the Offshore Wind Industry Council. I've had the pleasure of working in the industry for almost 14 years now, working for different developers and, and operators, doing everything from designing offshore wind farms to building them and also operating them. I've also had the opportunity to work in other parts of UK industries, such as oil and gas and, and aerospace as well. So it's really interesting and exciting to be in the supply chain side of things where we can actually see some of these things coming to bear. And really in my role, I'm very keen on making sure that we can deploy that supply chain in time to meet the UK's ambitions, but as well as that, make sure as much of it can happen in the UK as well. People will be listening to this on the eve of our UK offshore wind supply chain spotlight event in Edinburgh. What do you see as the main topics for debate at this event? What are the key discussion points that you'd expect to dominate the proceedings? Firstly, I'd really like to hear how we're innovating in the supply chain and how we need to reduce our costs in the offshore wind industry to reach the challenges that have been set with us by government. So I'd like to hear about that. I'd like to hear about how we're going to industrialise the new innovations that we're bringing. And I'm really interested to hear from some of the early stage innovators about where they're thinking and what, what they're up to and where they're getting stuck and how we can help them as an industry. We're going to need to scale up. We're going to need to adapt. And we have short, medium and long-term goals to meet. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from the innovators. And then secondly, I think it's really an opportunity for the industry. There'll be a lot of industry developers and supply chain, their largest supply chain. They'll be in the room. And I really think that we need to be ready to share our challenges and talk about the skills agenda. What do we need? Let's work together to make sure we're getting everyone bringing what's needed and solving our problems. I personally feel that the combination of the different elements of Spotlight is what makes it unique. You have the speaker panels, the numerous exhibitors, networking, getting involved in in investor pitches as well. Including all of these, what outcomes from the pitches and the breakout sessions would you like to see on the day? You know, what I'd love to see, people who know me well know I say this quite often, it's only about the people. The people work out the solutions, the people work together, the people solve the problems. So what I'd love to see, as I said a moment ago, is I'd love to see those connections being forged between the developers, between the supply chain, and between the early stage innovators. 
And I'd really like to see the innovators thinking about those pitches that they want to make and what they want to kind of, what you're able to deliver to them as the offshoring growth partnership, which is funded by the OIC developers. What do they need to do to really sharpen their pitches and make them as successful as possible? I'd like them to really understand where our challenges are and us not shy away from the fact that we do have challenges. We are a new industry. We are quite young. We can learn from adjacent industries, but we really have a long way to go. And I know there's a lot of really young, enthusiastic, smart, intelligent people out there. And some of the existing companies as well. How do they transform their companies if they're in oil and gas at the moment, if they're in aerospace, automotive? How can they leverage the synergies that are there? How can they understand more about that? So how can they bring those forward? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that, Jane. I'd like to come back to your point about the industry maturing. What does that maturing journey look like for you? What do you have in mind? Do you think we, through the various supply chain companies, do we give them enough visibility of what is to come? Do they have a good enough understanding of where they can create those differentiating attributes and features for UK offshore wind farms? I think we could probably be clearer. And I think we could give more confidence. So I think as I talk about maturing industry, we've grown in the last 20 years, but we're still very, very young compared to other industries out there. I think if we look at ourselves in terms of people years, we're probably in our late 20s. We're looking at understanding that you need to work with other people. We need to stretch our arms across and make sure that we're integrating with other sectors, leveraging off other understanding. I think it's that there's actually all sorts of systems and government approaches. There's all the catapults which obviously the offshore renewable catapults part of that network. We need to leverage all these systems across it to really understand it. So we need to take advantage of the maturity of maybe some of our adjacent sectors. And we need to give confidence to the people who want to invest in our sector, which I think I think that's really important for people. OWGP and OWIC work very closely together. OWIC members have generously funded growth partnerships programs. We have access to a wealth of industry knowledge and feedback through the OWIC reference group. We collaborate with OWIC collectively and individually with the OWIC members on many supply chain engagements. We get to see firsthand some of those fantastic supply chain growth stories, and they're working on helping to expand the offshore wind supply chain here in the UK. But we can't deny that there are challenges. What do you feel some of those challenges are in terms of that and how we can look to help overcome those? So I just mentioned about, I think, being clear about setting up the line of sight to enable investment to be made. We know there's projects out there ready to be developed. We need to make sure that people understand where they are. We know about floating offshore wind. It's coming our way soon. That's really exciting. There's big projects. We need to break them down so people will understand more about where they can play their part in that wider, bigger picture. It's not just one big offshore wind farm. It's made up of lots of constituent parts. I think we look at the immediate challenges. I was at an event yesterday and somebody immediately said to me about offshore wind, oh, well, there's all the grid problems, isn't there? That is a challenge. The grid, the planning, the radar, the environment, they are challenges which are being resolved between us and with government and industry together. I think there will be some innovation opportunities around that. But really what we're looking at is I think we're looking at where the supply chain, if we can sort all those challenges out, we can bring support to the supply chain and the skills agenda. We need to bring all those together and not get derailed by some of these areas that may look as though they're stored in the projects. The projects are still viable and it's positive. So we need to carry on. And we need those early stage innovators. We're so young. There's so many ways that, well, I don't even know what the ways are, but (laughs) that's what we need to hear from. We need to hear from those opportunities and also where people want to transition from one industry into this industry. We have to put our arms out and make sure we're welcoming people.
you touched upon your role and the various work groups that you have under the OIC organization. And having talked about those challenges, maybe you can talk a little bit about those work groups and, and which of those challenges are you prioritizing at the moment? Everyone is equal, Anil. We're not prioritizing one thing over another. Everyone's equal. You're right, we have got a number. Then we've got the pathways to growth, which is really looking at the environment and then planning issues. Actually, before I go into that, we're taking the output of the offshore wind acceleration report, which came from Tim Pick as a sector offshore champion, who's actually now your chair. So we've taken his report and working with the government, with Desnes, with the Department of Energy Security and Net Zero, we've actually given every single recommendation a RAG rating and a priority. So we're really clear about which ones we need to be working on first. And actually, they all need to happen, but there is an order to which they need to happen. The planning and environment ones... We need to get working on those. And we've been working on them for a long while. We're much clearer in our focus now. We're working with DEFRA, we're working with Desnes. We need to bring those together and understand there's lots of other marine users we need to be working with. So that's in hand. On the grid, Nick Windsor, who's the chair of another catapult, the energy system catapult. Nick has done a fantastic job on the grid, looking at the grid and how that can be accelerated, the rollout of that. And in fact, it was obviously in the Chancellor's report. The government bodies have really got themselves clearer about how they want to manage that and how they're setting forums in place, getting some structures so people know how the pieces are fitting together. The radar challenge, we are looking at that one. And that was also part of Tim Pick's excellent work. If we don't get the radar challenges resolved with the MOD, we will end up with environmental and planning problems. So we're also working our way through that one. That's another working group that's well underway and sorted. So I think those are the main ones. We're looking at those issues and we're getting a plan and a structure together with the government, because that's the idea. The industry council is we're working together with government to get a programmatic approach to resolving these challenges. I think maybe what it's more about is actually about being efficient with resource and money and time and getting the right people focusing on the right issue together. And then we move together onto the next one, because I think otherwise we all end up running around doing everything at the same time. We trip over each other. This is much more a structured way to actually make sure we're, we've got a resource and a priority approach. The other ones, if we get all that sorted and we get those offshore wind farms being built through the consent, then we're going to need the supply chains and we're going to need the skills. We're going to need the people. So we've got those ones underway. And Ajay, as the head of supply chain, has come in in order to support that work. And we also have Scott Young, who's come in as head of skills to support the work on the skills programme. So Ajay and Scott are working really closely together on that because we need to advance that. And obviously with the recent regulatory proposal on sustainability rewards, previously known as non-price factors, that's going to be about supply chain and skills. So we're making sure we're feeding in, we're making sure that it all locks together. Everything is as important as each other. Everyone is, is as important, but it's about getting the structure clear. I'm sure it feels longer, but in truth, you've only been in the role just over a year and you've covered a lot of ground. Is it fair to say that you now feel like you've got the structures in place, you've got the right connections, the right people around the table, and the delivery should be a lot more straightforward going forward? I think I'll be honest with you, Anil. I think so. Okay. I think we're getting there. We've made enormous strides in the last year from a governance perspective to structure what the industry council's doing, how it delivers. But actually, some of that's been driven by the work setting a really ambitious goal. It was only about 18 months ago that the 50 gigawatts by 2030 was set. Tim Pig came in and did an enormous amount of work. I mean, what a head start he gave us and bringing the industry back together. The Nick Windsor report, these things have been happening. So I'm just kind of, I'm trying to tuck in the tail stream of that and make sure that we're thinking lightly and agilely 
maybe I ask Ajay as well. Ajay, what do you think if you think of those headline big ticket challenges for the industry, consenting, supply chain, grid capacity, etc.? Do you feel like we're on the cusp of solving some of those big issues? I generally do. And I think whilst we can often talk about how much more there is to do, I don't think that should take away from the pride that we should draw upon how much we've done, not just in the last year, but over the last decade in offshore wind as well. So we're almost victims of our own success in the sense that the industry was able to reduce the cost of offshore wind, right? Because then that made it a completely viable statement, plan to say, well, offshore wind should become the backbone of the UK's energy system. It's because the industry has driven down that cost through scale, through good policy, through innovation, through the supply chain, that we've been able to get ourselves in this position where it's a sense of, okay, now give me 50 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030, please. We are victims of our, of our own success in that regard. But that great challenge or that ambition that we see before us is one there, I think, that as Jane said, it's about people. And I have the faith in the people that I interact with on a daily basis, but also knowing people across the industry and outside of the industry who are really keen to make this happen. So I believe we can do it. And I think there are challenges and we've just got to keep on going, really. And it's always much more fun to talk about opportunities. Now, recently, uh, a report has been released by OIC and OWGP jointly, and we state in the report that the UK supply chain can contribute £92 billion to the UK's economy by 2040. How do we get there? What are the various levers that need to be pulled so that we can achieve that ambition? Yeah, so I'm going to do my best to, to answer this in a, in a short statement, but there is literally a, um, a very long report, which is with a tremendous amount of work that's happened in the background. So I just want to give a quick shout out to my, my co-lead on this project, which was Lynn McIntosh-Greve from, from OWGP. And, and, and with her, I think we've led this project and done a decent job. But behind us has been Everose as a contractor and their subcontractor, Bigger Economics, who've done a phenomenal piece of work with regards to talking to the industry, gaining information, sourcing information from the clusters, who've also been very helpful to talking with governments as well. So. This huge body of work was done over the last year to distill what the key areas are that the industry should be looking at, what the interventions in those different areas should be in order to gain, to realize this 92 billion of gross value add that we've mentioned in, in a number of our press releases recently. Nine areas of focus, which were offshore services, fabrication of large steel items, blades, cables, both array and export, floating windows and opportunity, development services, substations and electrical design, turbine components, and also vessels. Now, part of the activity was actually getting to the point where we identified those as the key focus areas. And they all, as you can imagine, have all um, several more levels of granular detail as to what things are within those areas. But then through this work breakdown structure of understanding all the different components and services through the entire life cycle of an offshore wind farm through the pipeline of the UK's offshore wind through to 2040, that's how we were able to ascertain these values and to really be quite methodical about what the challenges were and more importantly, what the opportunities were and the interventions that needed to be taken associated with them. That's just scraping the surface. So yeah, like I said, over 80 interventions were created. What was interesting is how we were able to also analyze those interventions and sort of think of them as are these marginal gains are these transformative actions who has responsibility for them is it industry is it government it was all part of the process of trying to better understand where the interventions were and how they could be implemented and how optimistic are you that we can achieve that potential 
bit more work is required to better understand what's needed to actually implement them. So that's one of the things this SCCA project or the supply chain capability analysis piece of work did so much, but it was limited in what it could do. And and one of those things that it was limited in what it could do was to understand what the cost of implementing some of these interventions would be. So myself and, as I mentioned, Lynn, we're going to be looking at these interventions and trying to understand how we can start to look at some of these interventions and see how within our own mandates we can actually implement them. Further to that is the industrial growth plan that Renewable UK is leading, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but how these interventions might feed into that piece of work and to see how the industry can act upon them. To come back to your original question, am I confident these will happen? Yes, and I'm very happy that I have a mandate to act upon some of them as part of my work plan for next year. Excellent. Just on, you mentioned the industry growth plan, not all of our listeners might be familiar with it. Would you like to quickly cover what IGP is and what it is trying to achieve? When we agreed the sector deal as an industry about three years ago in 2019, we recognised the challenges bringing forward supply chain companies. So the industry developers voluntarily put some money towards the offshoring growth partnership as a flagship. You're you're running a flagship programme, Anil. We're delighted with how it's going. And what we need to do next is step it up and continue. And I think that look at how we can bring in other funding, look at how we can kind of make it bigger and better and really kind of take it forward from here. But that's where it came from, was uh, the Offshore Wind Industry Council actually developing it and thinking of it and bringing it forward through the sector deal. I'd actually say to Clark McFarlane and Ben Sykes, who are really instrumental in actually kind of getting it off the ground and getting it working, we're on a journey. Well, thanks. You're right, Jane. I only joined Offshore Wind Growth Partnership a year ago, but what a fascinating time it's been. And, and I think it's a unique, uh, uniquely value-adding experience and model Offshore Wind Growth Partnership funded and, and supported uh, by advice and steer by Offshore Wind Industry Council members. So we are informed by the latest expectations and plans from the industry and also um, generously funded by, by the developers. And that allows us to run multiple programs all geared towards supporting the supply chain in the UK and making sure that our supply chain is best positioned to grab the opportunities that offshore wind offers within the UK and globally. So what does OWGP do? We do provide business support programs. These could be targeted at market entry, market intelligence, business development type of support for companies. We also run funding programs, and these could be for technology commercialization or capacity or capability improvement and building. And we are extremely excited about being part of the industrial growth plan piece of work and and looking into the next phase of growth. I mean, what have we done to date? We've engaged in more than 230 engagements with companies. Over 200 companies have been supported by OWGP. And we've awarded approximately 20 million pounds of support to these companies and have delivered uh, delivered multiple products into commercialization and, and multiple facilities and equipment and, and training and, and advisory services to our company. So really excited and proud of what we've achieved and, and obviously excited about the next phase that we are currently designing under the industry growth plan as well. Maybe I take it now back to the opportunities and lessons from other sectors We're aware of those opportunities, but we do feel that we need more adjustments to policies and practices that need to be put in place to better help the supply chain. What are the lessons that we can take from other countries or industries to do that best? We have a fantastic university and government network. We have a government that's really focused on innovation and R&D, which is what we're kind of talking about here. And to some extent, we have a 
government that really wants to bring forward supply chain is offering support to sort of small and medium enterprises. I think we have a number of the pieces in place. We have to join the dots together. I think we have to take advantage and we have to learn from the other sectors. So I think we have to focus what we're good at and we have to stick with it. I think that when I speak to colleagues from other countries, I feel like sometimes we've been a bit flip floppy. Sometimes I hear other people speaking about it in the industry. Sometimes we are focused on this because it's a really good idea. And then we're going to go and focus on something else because it's a really good idea. And I think that's really hard for business. And I think especially hard when business is trying to reach out into a new area of supply chains are trying to think about how do I go forward? Do I feel confident about going forward? It comes back to what we spoke about at the beginning about the pipeline and visibility. Do I feel confident about investing in this new bit of kit or this new bit of training or this new factory or whatever it is, if it all looks a bit flip floppy? So I think we have to be clear. We have to be firm. We have to be confident. We have to take a leadership position and we have to move forwards. We can do it. We have done it before. We did it with the CFD when the contract for difference mechanism came in. That has been through multiple governments in the last 10 years and it's survived. And actually that's given the the developers and those OEMs the confidence to carry on investing in the UK. And what we need to do is make sure we continue with that and we have to decide what we're going to do, stick with it and keep moving forwards. And I've seen other countries do that. And I think that's really valuable. I wonder if we need to be a bit braver in our thinking as well. I recognise there's many challenges for government and how they implement support for supply chain companies. But I think we need to be really brave and we need to just go ahead and do some of the things that we need to do about investment into infrastructure. So we also need to look at what other countries are doing. In America, we've seen the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, and we've seen the European response to that, which is the European Green Deal. This is how they're responding to increased competition and increased ambition. We are going to need to step up as the UK and make sure we have an adequate response to this as well. We've started to see that through the autumn statement, which came through with GIGA approach towards investment into manufacturing. And we, we certainly know that some of that's going towards offshore wind. So we're going to be putting forward a great case for getting as much as that money as possible into the offshore wind sector. I think that £960 million announcement from the UK government is really going to be another vote of confidence for the industry. And certainly in my circle, it has lifted the spirits quite a bit. So you're absolutely right. I think the government support when it is clear and unambiguous and bold does give us the confidence as a sector. There's actually been a lot of work going on together between the industry and government together. Like we've really kind of been working together really, really well to make sure that we are able to provide the right evidence. You know, these things don't just come out of nowhere. They come with the support. And actually, this is, you asked me earlier about how we're maturing. This is a way we're maturing. We don't just sit here expecting things to drop in our lap. We know we have to go and work and we we want to work with other sectors, but we're also competing against them to make sure that we get funding as well. And we're learning how to do that. And I think that's where we're maturing. We're understanding how the governance works. We're understanding the processes. I mean, there's always been there. There's always been people who understood, but I think that understanding, that clarity, we're getting much better at it. I'd like to pay tribute to Andy MacDonald as well. He's the founding program director for, for OWGP. And one thing he talks about is us providing the evidence. I think we've got better over time as well. And the government needs evidence to act upon. And, and I think collectively between uh, OWGP and OWGP over the last year, I think we've got a lot better in providing that. Ajay, did you have any thought on that question? Obviously, with other things that have happened recently, like the allocation around six administrative strike prices and them being identified as £73, that combined with the Green Industries Growth Accelerator, or GIGA as we're now calling it, just seems to add 
confidence. Our Renewable UK CEO, Dan McGray, often talks about this inflection point that we've seen over the, the past year. And I think I'm hopeful that with things such as the ASP being updated and with Giga as an initiative being implemented, that we start to see those ingredients in this recipe of, of having a successful supply chain start to come together to, to create that, that positive story that we're all trying to achieve. Maybe talk about, take a step back and talk about 2023 as a year. It's been an interesting year for the industry. I'm going to suggest the theme for this year should be around resilience in the face of interest rate rises, cost inflation, lack of profits in the supply chain. And yet we're seeing continued growth and confidence. A couple of examples that I can think of are Ocean Winds Mori West project securing £2 billion and taking a final investment decision. Scottish Power Renewables awarded their largest ever contract worth £1.3 billion covering 95 wind turbines for their East Anglia 3 offshore wind farm. How's this year been for you? What, what do you make of 2023? Resilience. What an underrated word. I think that it's really important. I think the last two or three years have been tough. I think they've been tough for everyone in the UK globally as well. I think, you know, COVID, the pandemic, and then this year has been really hard. As you say, Ocean Winds SPI, it's great to see that there are still good things happening. And I think that we shouldn't underestimate. I think when people see those large projects going ahead, it does give a wave of happiness throughout the industry. And I think to the supply chain that people can see things moving forwards. I think this has probably been one of the hardest years that the offshore wind industry has faced. We mentioned earlier about the AR5 results earlier in the year, that the strike price was set very low by government. It it just wasn't going to work for anyone. I think that was, you know, I know having spoken to industry colleagues, that was a really hard decision for companies to make not to go forward, but they just couldn't afford to do it. However, I think the government, Desnes, has responded really well. And I think they've really understood, you know, the trust, I think, with the department is high. There's a high level of trust. There's a high level of discussion. And I think that they've really kind of come forward and stepped up to really do things which support the industry by raising the strike price. We've still got some way to go because we need to see how big the budget is. But I think we feel confident now. I think we've seen some shifts. So that's that's really good. We do have projects that are good to go. There's a number of projects. They do have some challenges. Some are sitting there with their planning consent, their seabed leasing, their grid connection. They're good to go. And we will see that come through next year in AR6, the auction round six, which is taking place, I think, around Q2 next year, date to be determined exactly. But we will see them come forward and that'll be another wave of confirmation in the industry. Actually, one of the things that's really come forward for me over the last, over some of the conversations I've had, in fact, even just over the last few days, is we as an industry, we need to make sure that we are being confident about what we can do and what we can deliver, because I've realised how big headlines in the newspaper or coming out of government or the TV, actually, they really impact on the supply chain and the investment in the UK. They can really shake it and those things can go through to board, you know, and well, maybe we should invest somewhere else. We spoke about the global market. Maybe we should invest somewhere else where they're kind of getting more confident messages. You know, maybe we should go over here. Maybe we should, because a lot of the companies, there are some smaller companies that are UK based, but there's also companies that are, they're global. So we are competing in a global market. We need to make sure that we as the industry are making sure that we're being confident enough in our industry. So it's been a tough year. Yes, it's about resilience. Actually, I think the people in our industry are great. They want to make it work. They want to make it happen. So actually, I think that resilience levels are high in our industry. And next year is going to be easier. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the Renewable UK should take a lot of credit for creating that environment for people to come together. I've attended numerous Renewable UK events, Global Offshore Wind Conference in June and uh, Floating Offshore Wind Conference recently in October in Aberdeen and various other events. 
always it lifts me up and I think it lifts everyone up. So, so Renewable UK does a, a fantastic job of bringing the industry together and reuniting us in, in our common objective of achieving decarbonisation whilst creating growth and jobs within the UK. And, and that remains a really worthwhile objective. Thank you, Anil. I'd really like, you know, that's really appreciated because people work really hard with those events. They take a lot of energy to bring them together. But I think when they're really recognised, that's really helpful. I mean, one of the bits we are working on is the Offshore Wind Industry Council, along with along with Crown Estate Scotland, along with Crown Estate and being led by Renewable UK, is looking at an industrial growth plan. We mentioned it earlier about how do we come together? How do we take some of the findings from the supply chain capability analysis How do we bring that forward with identifying where the areas, you know, the comparative advantage that the UK does have, where we can set a course and get behind that and stick with it to make sure we are bringing forward the value. So we are working on that all together. That should be out early next year. And I'm sure there'll be some other launch party and lots of information about that when it is delivered. Looking forward to it. Well, you've started speaking about next year. Uh, 2023 is drawing to a close. What's on the horizon for OIC? in relation to its work on supply chain growth for next year, what should the people be looking out for in 2024? So at the moment, we're going through setting our work plan for next year. We've got quite a lot of things to do. We're obviously taking the OWAT recommendations, the Offshore Wind Acceleration Task Force recommendations. There's a lot of work to be done within the environmental space, the pathways to growth. We've got some radar planning work that we're doing, working with the MOD on that. And grid we're looking at how we can be resource and time efficient on bringing that forward. So those are big things that are going to happen there. And I think we'll really start to see some shifting on the grid. But that's actually everyone coming together. That's Ofgem, National Grid, NGET, ESO. We're going to see the FSO coming through next year and we'll see what happens there. We'll start to see the non-price factors, sustainability rewards getting more firmed up. We need to make sure it all fits together. We've got a skills strategy, which is working really closely with the government's Green Jobs Delivery Group. We're trying to make sure that we are lining things up, being clear where we can align and collaborate and being clear where there's difference, things that we need to take forward or things that maybe we actually need to push forward harder. It's going to be a really busy year. Ajay, you heard Jane talking there about 2024. What are your expectations with the, the focus on supply chain from 2024? Just a little bit of addition about recognising how difficult 2023 was and looking for 2024 to be that year where the supply chain bounces back with those positive signs, you know, as I mentioned before, with the administrative strike price and, and Giga coming through as well. For me, and this was highlighted in the supply chain capability analysis as well, it's, it's recognising that there's so many businesses and organisations ranging from tier one suppliers all the way around to tier four suppliers, there's the small organizations that make this industry happen as well, where they've got plans, they've got ideas, you know, they might have production line that they're thinking about conducting, or they might just have a budget that's waiting to, to reskill someone. I think there's so many different examples of how creating a less risky environment that allows these organizations to take those decisions, those positive decisions to help strengthen the supply chain. I think it's understanding where those points are and trying to address them so for all those different organizations we're just able to help them get over the line absolutely and um, we'll do it collectively we will do our best to try and help all our uk supply chain companies so one final time jen and ajay thank you for taking part in the spotlight special episode of re-energize it has been great to talk to you and hear your thoughts and comments on the uk supply chain and areas of growth that we can work towards as an industry I hope our listeners have gained an insight into some of the conversations we will be having on the day at the UK Offshore Wind Supply Chain Spotlight event on 12th of December. It is now time to de-energize. 
In the meantime, listeners can find more about Ori Catapult activities at orecatapult.org.uk and don't forget to follow Ori Catapult on Twitter and LinkedIn at orecatapult and now on Instagram at ore.catapult.